Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Salakaya Chakchurun Militam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Sdabitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupahakata Mayatadati Svabarantikam Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Dutta Padakamalamam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sakritattam Sahagana Raghunatan Bitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Bitam Scha He Krishna Karanasando Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Kopika Kanta Radha Kanta Navostute Taptakan Chadagorangi Radhe Brindamaneshuri Vishabano Sute Devi Panamami Adi Priye Manchakalpata Rubis Chakripasanabi Evacha Patitanam Bavanebio Vaishnabebio Namo Nama Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Brabunitananda Siyadvaita Kadadha Sivasadi Gura Bhaktarinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Welcome to everyone who is sitting here in the temple room and those who are in the temple compound doing various types of service for their supreme spiritual masters of all of us. Shri Shri Radha Kavachanji. Once again, uh, Narutamananda Prabhu has been kind enough to read uh, the text for today, text number 41, that's in chapter 3 of Canto 1 of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Spotless Purana. And for my own edification, I'm going to repeat the Sanskrit and the English translation, if you will, to that, to that text. The Sanskrit. Tad idam grahayam asa suttam atmavatam varam Sarva Vedetidhasanam Saram Saram Samudhritam. And the translation by His Divine Grace. Srila Vyasadeva delivered it to his son, who is the most respected among the self realized, after extracting the cream of all Vedic literatures and histories of the universe. So Srila Vyasadeva has extracted the cream of all Vedic literatures and histories of the universe, and has put them into this one book that we consider to be uh, perhaps our most important literature on the planet, the Srimad Bhagavatam. And uh, the in the purport, there's a lot that is being said about uh, the authority of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, It said, there's a statement here, it is therefore accepted by all the spiritual authorities as the Mahapurana. And there's a further statement, the special significance of these histories is that they are all connected with the activities of the Lord in a different time and atmosphere. Srila Shukadeva Goswami is the topmost personality of all the self-realized souls, and he accepted this as the subject of studies from his father, Srila Vyasadeva. So, uh, generally when one is preparing to give some kind of discourse, 
on the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, one picks, picks a topic which seems to, at least the speaker, to be one of the outstanding ideas in, given in the text and the purport. So today, I would like to talk with us just a little bit about accepting the authority of the proper source. Accepting the authority of the proper source. Uh, it, most people, many people I'll say, I won't say most because that's being a little too, too specific. Many people are becoming confused and frustrating by the uh, society's authorities, the authorities in our societies today. In particular, uh, the scientific community, uh, the academic community in general, uh, they are arguing among themselves and they're generally protecting accepted theories. And this is pointed out in, in a lot of detail, and it's uh, by um, Sada Puttaprabhu and um, Michael Kramo. Uh, what is, do you know his spiritual name, Narthamanand Prabhu? Druta Karma Prabhu, and their uh, Forbidden Archaeology, that book. Really, that's really a magnificent doctrine, uh, I think, or document um, in our society today, although it's probably not read by a lot of people. And I hope that at some time in the future it will be read by more people because that will help them to understand uh, how authorities can sometimes um, um, cover up or uh, in some way... Um, uh, denigrate uh, material or ideas that are that have come from past from past literatures and from also from the uh, discoveries um, of various persons, especially those the um, archaeologists, paleontologists, those persons who uh, dig around in the earth for evidence of things that have gone on in the past. And so we see that there, there is quite a bit of arguing. And if a person comes up with an idea that tends to contradict the presently held theories, um, uh, then that person is, is, this information that that person is giving is sometimes squelched or really kept down so that other people will not look at it very closely. And the idea there is that uh, once a person has spent a goodly portion of his life dedicated to defending a particular idea or tenet of a of, of, of way of believing, uh, then that person has the tendency to uh, continue to defend with even greater fervor when that idea or that theory is attacked. So we, we then find that there is uh, no solid basis for a lot of the conjectures of the scientists and the other academicians in our society. No, no really solid basis, but they're, they, they're changing from time to time. And a person is considered to be rather open-minded if he is willing to at least examine a new idea that comes up. Uh, but that is generally uh, a person does so with a great deal of skepticism because ideas that have been brought up and have been have been accepted uh, over a period of time 
uh, have become almost sacred, even though they're about the material world. And so these people then are, are we, might, we might consider them to be ganis or those persons who try to discover what is the ultimate uh, point of beginning, what is the ultimate basis for everything that is being studied in this material world. And we see that they attempt to use just their observation and their logic to establish the truth. Uh, in other words, their observation. That means using the five senses and the machinery that has been invented to enhance the use of the five senses to determine and establish what is the truth. They come up with theories and they try to, um, they try to support those theories based on something on logic. And, and an example of this is that they will see a point of light in the in the nighttime sky. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a very well known point of light. Maybe it's Venus or Saturn or Mars, one of the, one of the planets in this so called solar system. And then they will see points of light even even that are dimmer and and very minute minuscule. Uh, but they come up with a theory that these light sources are coming from a, a body that's within the universe, you know, or like a planet or a star or just something that is uh, maybe a comet, something that is just uh, uh, appearing in the nighttime sky. They don't know how it has come to be, but they have their theories about it. And just by examining the light that is coming from that source, they, they get an idea of how far away it is. And so there, there are some who claim then that there are objects within our universe that are millions of light years away. And light, I believe, travels at the rate of 183,000 miles per second, something like that. I think that's about right, 183, 186 miles per second. And so uh, they, they somehow can, they conjecture that this object must be then at about uh, 10,000 light years from our, from our planet. Now, in order to find out the distance between, uh, the, the distance from where we are to another point out, you know, that is somewhat removed from us, uh, they use the practice of triangulation. Means that they pick one spot on the earth and then they pick another spot at some distance removed, maybe 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 miles removed from our position. And, and then they look at the same point of light or the same object uh, from the two different points on the Earth's planet, on the Earth, on the Earth's surface. Uh, and, and I say, should say from the Earth's surface, and they measure the distance between the two points of observation on the planet, and they get the angle at which they're seeing this, the angle from what they consider to be the horizontal. And using the angles that they're, vis they're viewing the distant object, uh, they, they can, uh, and, and the distance then between the two points, uh, they can use some trigonometry to determine about how far distant that point is from the Earth. Now, they can do that with objects that are maybe 30, 50 miles, 100 miles above the Earth. 
or, or maybe it, uh, it, they can even speculate how far it is to other places like the moon and to the sun. But according to the Vedic literatures, uh, those calculations are quite often far wrong. Most people think that the moon is, what, 240,000 miles from the earth. I think that is correct. And that the sun is, uh, I don't know, millions of miles, four million miles. I can't, I can't remember what the, what the number's been too long since I was in school listening to all the stuff that was coming from the scientific community. So anyhow, uh, they use their observations and the instruments of their observations, which in now, nowadays includes radio telescopes in which they can, they can detect something by the radiation that is coming from. Of course, if it is so many millions of light years away, I don't really know how they determine that that particular radiation is coming from that particular source. But anyhow, they come up with all these theories, and, and then, uh, then the media present those ideas as though they're factual. And so the people who are listening then to the radio and the television, they say, oh, well, then this must be true. The sun must be at quite a bit greater distance away from the earth than the moon is. But that's not true according to the Vedic, Vedic wisdom. So when people see, begin to see the flaws and see the scientists changing their beliefs that, uh, you know, first of all, they say that they, the earth is, is flat. And then they say that it is round. And then we go back to the Vedic literatures and we, say, we see that the earth is, is, and is or I should say, buttered varsh. The, all of the, of the solid land on this, within this universe is, is flat. But there are other explanations for why uh, stars and moons and such go overhead. So people, when they see the scientists disagreeing with one another, then they begin to lose faith in those scientists and the other scholars. um, Because they begin to see that they're, they're coming up with theories that are unproven. And they're presenting this as factual. Um, when when I back when I was in college studying nuclear uh, engineering, uh, I, that, as part of my electrical engineering curriculum, I had to have a nuclear uh, course, nuclear physics course, and uh, it was it was said that that there were on, there in the in the there's an atom that is the building block for everything, and uh, uh, even the atom is made up of pieces, you know, the protons, neutrons, and electrons. But nowadays, they're, they're, they're theorizing that there are other particles that are present in the atom. And then there, there's something that, that is actually antimatter or dark matter. And they, they have no direct proof of that, but what they're observing with their instruments leads them to make a theory. And then when they present that to society and enough scientists accept it, then they just consider that to be true. But we want to get to understanding the basis for recognizing a real bona fide authority. Um, if, if we're not to be, if we're not to be pushed back and forth uh, between these different scholars with our with their opinions, we are looking for someone who is a real authority who can tell us on a on a real basis about not only the nature of this material world, but also about anything that is beyond the scope of the five senses. In other words, other realities that are present at the same time and in the same place 
as this material world that we see around us, but other things are happening which are beyond our, the range of our senses. So um, we, we see that um, we have to base conclusions, base our conclusions not only on just the observations of what we see in nature, and the reason for that is because of the limitations of our five senses and all the instruments that go with them the microscope, the telescope, the radio telescope, so many things that are being used to, to observe nature. And we, and we search for truth beyond the pervert, purview of the senses. So we want to observe how one's beliefs then affects one's actions and relationships. So we're talking about finding a bona fide uh, representative of, of the truth a bona fide authority. So we want to observe how our beliefs then affect our actions and relationships. In other words, if, if, a, if, if a person is really knowledgeable about this world and he's accepted by so many other people as being an authority, then we, we would say that his, his beliefs and, and his actions and the relationships that he has uh, should affect his life in such a way as to make his life better. But we don't necessarily see that that is true. We see that uh, persons sometimes, persons who are considered to be the greatest authorities about this material world are the ones who have the most difficulty in their relationships with other people. And so we, we begin to wonder then, if this is the truth, then why isn't it making that person's life better? So then we begin practicing methods and uh, that are presented by a person whose life is positively affected by what he believes. And the methods that that person then suggests to us, uh, we begin to practice those, and then we observe the changes in our own lives. So this is not just a matter of faith or belief in something that is not material, this is something we can actually put to the test using the scientific method, which is to observe and then to make a proposal about why something is occurring and then to take some action and see what is the result of taking that action and then reach a conclusion. And so we can, we can actually do that in our own lives, which means that we can be our own laboratory, our own scientific laboratory. And we, uh, when we're searching for someone as an authority, then we can see what that person has to say. We can translate that into our own life, our own actions and relationships, and to see what effect it has on us. And that if it has a positive effect, then we can be pretty well impressed. We can be favorably impressed with that. So we, would, we have noticed that in joining this Krishna consciousness movement, we've been experiencing relationships that are based on love and trust. And there's no real scientific way to measure love and trust. These, these are kinds of ephemeral things that, um, of course, we can see the result of there being love and trust but we can't actually observe love and trust themselves. We only can see it in the way it affects other people and their relationships. And so we get to the point then of noting how uh, one's 
relationships would become more pleasing uh, when one adopts certain um, ideas, certain practices that are recommended by a person that one is considering to be an authority. So those persons who were early on uh, in the association of His Divine Grace to the Prabhupada, uh, they had the opportunity to live with him and to watch him, uh, you know, moment to moment during the day. And by doing that, they began to see that the philosophy that he espoused, he also followed and he practiced it. And by, by practicing it, uh, it affected the way he had a relationship with everyone else around him. It affected other people in a way that they could not understand, but they felt it. And sometimes uh, that the scientists would rather laugh at us and say, "Oh, you're, you're feeling something," and so that's supposed that's supposed to be scientific, right? Yeah, right. And so they discount that. They discount that the way we feel whenever we have come into contact with a person who is a bona fide representative of a truth that is beyond the purview of the scientists, uh, that cannot be measured necessarily by instruments, by uh, the extensions of our five senses. So we note that how Srila uh, Prabhupada and other people who have been affected by him, how their, um, uh, their relationship with other people has become very attractive and very pleasing. And so we don't see examples of that very much in our society. And so whenever we see something like that happening, then we become very much moved by that. And we feel that it is affecting our lives. So it changes our attitude toward our our own familiar actions and relationships. In other words we start examining the way we are acting in certain ways, like the foods that we eat, the type of food that we eat, the type of drinks that we have. Um, uh, we start thinking about how uh, the use of, of drugs of various kinds, medicines, maybe not prescription medicines, but you know, or, or the country, how they affect us in our relationships with other people. At first, we, you know, we found when we were experimenting with these, uh, especially the psychedelic drugs, we heard about other people and the experiences they had, and it seemed like it was very exciting and very pleasing to those persons. But then as, as time went by, we see that it began to affect them physiologically, means that it affected their bodies, and it affected their minds, and it also affected their relationships with other people. So uh, coming into contact with a bona fide authority, observing how that person acts, observing how that person relates to other people, it changes one's attitude toward his own familiar actions and relationships. So what we're talking about now, ever since we started, this is all uh, philosophical, taking a philosophical use, a philosophical look at uh, what the authorities in our society uh, are presenting to people 
and how it's affecting the lives of the people to whom they present it and how it's affecting the lives of those scientists themselves. So as one begins to uh, spend time with a person who is a spiritual authority, then one's, one's optimism uh, begins to increase. In other words, we're a little bit skeptical whenever we set out on any path that is new. And for many of us, uh, setting out on the path of Krishna conscious living was a new experience that was different from anything that we had experienced before. And so we saw how it affected us and our relationships with the people who were closest around us. Once we started making some spiritual advancement, we, we became more optimistic that this path is legitimate. This path produces results. This path is free from fear. And so uh, we began offering and withholding knowledge. Sometimes we offer knowledge to other persons, and sometimes we withhold that knowledge depending on what we see in that person, how that per- whether that person is ready to examine something that is new. Uh, and unlike the scientists who have, uh, you know, have some history, decades or even centuries, backing them up in what they believe, we, on the other hand, have maybe uh, one year, 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years of experience being on this path of God consciousness and seeing how it affects the lives of the people who have encountered it and who have encountered one who is a practitioner, a a really sincere, uh, long-time practitioner of this uh, philosophical way of living. So uh, we sometimes withhold our knowledge and sometimes we withhold our association from other people. And so why is that? We realize the need that others feel uh, for a bona fide source of truth and bona fide relationships. We see that in other people, that they're, a lot of people feel very isolated and alone. They feel alienated from other people in the society because they just can't accept the way that people act toward them and the way people conduct their lives. So, but we know that there are some people who do need the kind of, of information we have about how to make their lives uh, more meaningful, and, and how, how to prepare, especially for the time of departure from our bodies. A lot of people are very fearful of that, of thinking about it. I, I mean, I've got, I have a sister, and she's about four years my senior, so she's approaching her 80th birthday. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's, there's some fear there, and, and she just really doesn't care to talk about the the possibility of giving up her body because she doesn't know what that means, doesn't know what what's going to happen to her besides what she has learned in Christianity, which is not very much, except that you know you've been really good, you're going to go back to the kingdom of God forever, and if you haven't been good, then you're going to go to hell and burn forever, and so you know it's not not a very good set of options. There's a lot of information that is lacking there, but. 
we don't want to spend a lot of time with those who don't want to change. And so therefore, uh, when, we're, when we're speaking with somebody else, we have been uh, taught uh, by our spiritual master or by senior, uh, senior persons on this path of bhakti, we've been taught that there's no need wasting a lot of time trying to convince somebody about something that does, they don't want to be convinced about. Even if you can show them that this is going to make your life much more pleasing, you'll have a much better life, you'll have something more to look forward to in the future than you've ever imagined. So, and not wasting time, but we want to focus really on serving the instructions of the persons who have been our spiritual guides. If they've given us instructions about how we should live our lives, about, you know, books that we should study, about how we should uh, interact with other people, then those are the kinds of things that we want to spend our time focusing on rather than just putting up an argument and getting all angry and making somebody else angry with us. So our goal, ultimate goal is to remember what is the most important thing in life. And we can say that that living a very proper life according to the authoritative uh, persons who represent authoritative literatures and authoritative uh, beings who are not present on the planet right now, at least not in a form that we can see. Uh, we, we, want to, we want to be attentive to what they have taught us and to try to live in such a way that we will be uh, representatives of a spiritual path that others will want to be want to follow, will want to want to get on themselves because they need to so badly to stop the suffering and the sadness and the pain that that they're having to go through in this lifetime. So it's with great compassion then that the devotees of Krishna, the followers in the footsteps of Srila Prabhupada, it's it's out of great compassion that they will share the knowledge that they have, not only the knowledge, but they're willing to share their very lives with other people. We're willing to take them in to our community of devotees and help them to get on this path themselves so that the suffering will end, and by the time they get to be into their 50s, 60s, 70s, then they can be well-founded in a philosophy that's going to, they're going to carry it not only just through this lifetime, but it's actually going to propel them to a much better existence in the future. Even if they come back into this material world, it will, it will help them because Krishna will see what this person has gained in this lifetime, and based on that, uh, based on what the person, you know, the elevation uh, along the path of spiritual life that that person has obtained, that's going to determine where that person begins his next lifetime, whether it's in this material world or whether it's back in the spiritual world. Hare Krishna. Does anyone have uh, something that they would like to some comment that has been on your mind. I wish those of you who are out there do, getting ready to go to work or already at work and still listening to philosophy, I wish there was a way that we could talk directly with you, but until that time comes, 
We ask you to get in touch with us later or contact someone else. Nartamananda Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Thank you for coming over and for the nice class. Um, I was reading yesterday um, a conversation of Srila Prabhupada's, and he's referring to um, the cosmology of Western society to be imaginology. A what? Imaginology. Uh, imag- imaginology, coming from the word imagination, right? Exactly. So he refers to their understanding of the cosmos as imaginology. And he said that they call our um, cosmology mythology. He said, so both are claiming that the other is just imagining something. He said, but we have an authoritative basis. We have the Srimad Bhagavatam. They do not. He said they have no experience of the other planets. They have no experience of beyond this creation. So all they can do is imagine what the other planets are like, imagine what they're seeing in space, and all of this is imaginary. So I thought that was interesting terminology he used, the imaginology. Yeah, very much so. And so the whole thrust of this text that we were reading today has been establishing the speakers of the Srimad Bhagavatam. First of all, Srila Vyasadeva, who spent you know, a considerable portion of his life, we understand, putting together a lot of other liturgies, condensing them down. It's like churning the milk to produce the butter. And then, uh, and then his son he gave to uh, Vyasaki or, or Shukadeva Goswami. His, his name is Vyasaki. I think that's one of the names for Shukadeva, isn't it? Yeah, for, uh, for Shukadeva Goswami, not, not Shukadeva Goswami. Is it the son of Vyasaki? So, uh, then, so then Shukadeva Goswami speaks it, and it's, it's his speaking. It has been compared to uh, a parrot pecking a, a, a fruit, piece of fruit like a mango, and where that parrot has, parrot has pecked on the mango, that mango becomes sweeter from the pecking action of, of the parrot. And so it's said that uh, Shukadev, as a matter of fact, Shukadev Goswami, as we understand it, in his uh, Vrindavan Leela, he's, he's the uh, parrot of, is it uh, Krishna? Or parrot of Radharani? I can't remember. He's the pet parrot. There are two parrots. One is the parrot of Krishna and the other is of Radharani, as I, as I remember. Is that correct, Nartana? You recall it? it, anyhow. So, so just just like uh, just like the parrot pecks on. So when Shuka Shukadev uh, repeats the Srimad Bhagavatam to King Parichit, uh, then it becomes even sweeter than when his father Shilavyasadev has repeated. So these are, these are the authorities that we are looking up to, and. This this is the kind of authority that is not present in the society that we're living in. The society that bases everything uh, primarily on on uh, how much money a person has and what kind of social standing that person has. That those two uh, d- uh, two characteristics uh, then 
provide the basis for people's respect for someone else in our society. A person who is a multimillionaire, a billionaire now, uh, is considered to be a, a very successful person. And when he speaks, then somebody listens to him. I just read something today uh, also about um, uh, Elon Musk, the one who is a... Um, what, what, is, what is he well-known for? Is it Tesla, develop of the Tesla automobile? No, not that. Anyhow, he's, he's a multimillionaire, and he was talk, talking about how he has helped to provide uh, a filtration system to help uh, turn, cleanse seawater and make it, make it drinkable using solar panels to provide the power. Because most people consider that, uh, you know, desalination of the ocean water to be too expensive. It's too expensive an option because it takes too much power. But if you're powering it from using solar panels, you're taking the energy from the sun. So you're not taking energy from the grid. You're not burning more coal to provide the power to desalinate ocean water. No, Tom, I don't Microphone. Hey Krishna, okay, there it is. What I wanted to um, bring up was that can, can you speak into the microphone here, please? One point. Um, that Prabhupada makes is that um, the Srimad Bhagavatam is Krishna himself. If you look at the Parivasha Sutra of this first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the verse that's referred to that summarizes the entire Bhagavatam volume, it states that the Bhagavatam has arisen just after the descent of Lord Krishna, and it is Krishna himself. So as far as the authority of the Bhagavatam goes from the Vedic perspective, there's no more valuable you know, knowledge, nor is there anything that's more accurate than this. But in the purport, Prabhupada refers to the Bhagavatam being misused, and therefore it was lost its social authoritative status because men that were unscrupulous and men that were u- utilized it as a, as a business to support themselves. So Prabhupada said that one of the points was that he brought up in the purport was that a person has to be in the renounced order of life who's free from family obligations to actually be qualified to write or to, you know, discourse on the Bhagavatam. Now, of course, Prabhupada's employed many married men and, you know, engaged many married men and and women in speaking the Bhagavatam, but not for the purpose of a business. So that was one point I thought was very interesting. He refers to it specifically as the renounced orders, the qualified to be an objective authority because everybody else is controlled by their monetary values. And I thought that was very interesting. And then... Well, Bhaktivinoda Thakur's history is very interesting because um, he, he was the first person that taught English in the state of Orissa. 
And um, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur had ten children. But also Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in the later stage of his life, he accepted the, Baba, the renounced order of Babaji. So if you look at the history of our acharyas, we're seeing that, you know, if you go right down the line, um, Srila Prabhupada accepted the renounced order, order Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasuddhi accepted the renounced order, Gorakashurta's Babaji accepted the renounced order, Bhaktivinoda Thakur accepted the renounced order. And um, Jagannath Das Babaji accepted renounced order. The six Goswamis all accepted renounced order. All I'm saying is in the purport, Prabhupada refers to this, and we see that the line of authorities that are disseminating this knowledge to us all have that qualification. And this brings up a discussion in the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, where Prabhupada says that, um, that uh, what... Western, um, you know, authorities, scientific authorities, educational authorities are claiming cannot be observed by a common man. And also he says that um, what the previous acharyas are describing, that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, that there is Goloka Vrindavan, a spiritual world beyond this material world, also cannot be observed by a common man. So he's saying that how does the common man judge which authority to accept? Because both of them are describing things that we cannot experience or perceive. So he said, then you have to take the next step and look at the quality of that person's, you know, um, uh, what, what, you know, his, his what's a, what do I want to look at? I say this, how do I want to say this? Not in terms of their quality of rhetoric or education, but the 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 actual, um, you know, personal um, morality and um, objectiveness and freedom from you know uh, uh, bad habits. How do you say that? What's the what's the term for that? When a person's free from bad habits. When a person's free from the exploitation of other people, uh, either sexually or monetarily, or one who's free from, you know, um, uh, you know the basic principles, right? We have no meat-eating, no illicit sex, no gambling, no intoxication. And also that person has to be qualified to explain and defeat all the different philosophies that oppose Srimad Bhagavatam. And all of our previous acharyas have done that. They're all free from vices. They're all, and, and um, so Prabhupada said, so if you cannot um, experience what your authority is describing, you know, if it's beyond your ability to perceive at, the, at that given time, you have to look at the qualification of that person's character. That's the word I was looking for. You have to look at the character and evaluate the character of the, the, the of persons that are presenting themselves as authorities. So he said, when you look at the character of the past acharyas, they are flawless. And Prabhupada said, that is a better step of faith than accepting the authority of someone who is degraded and motivated. That's all I wanted to say. Hare Krishna. Yes, from
You're, so you're saying that a person who has, who, who is... Um, Even if, let us take uh, impersonalist uh, parampara also, they are also very saintly, and with, if you observe their characters, characters also, they like they are very saintly. Uh, then how the results of these two paramparas different? A person who is an impersonalist but and comes in, in the yes. disciplic succession? Yeah, disciplic succession. If you see that, they are also bona fide. If, if they are in our disciplic succession coming down from the guru parampara, uh, they cannot be impersonalist. It's not possible. It is, because it, it is a know, different parampara, but if you see, according to our class today, what we understood is we had to look for a parampara, their characteristics, and uh, yes, saintliness of the parampara that we have to see, right? Uh, even uh, we can find similar qualities, similar saintliness in that parampara also. I'll see if I can respond to what you're saying here. Uh, a person can, a person can be uh, very mild-natured, very pleasing to be around. Sam, please don't come and go out of the door anymore. That's it. Take your things and go if you want to. A, a person can uh, can can be coming down and, but. Srila uh, Bhaktisiddhanta was a very, very strong preacher against impersonalism. And so a, a, if a person is speaking on the Bhagavad Gita, like Narottamananda was saying, if a person just to uh, support himself is speaking uh, the Bhagavatam and reaching a different conclusion that our Guru Parampara has reached about the personal nature of the Supreme Lord, uh, then that person cannot be considered to be a follower of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta or anyone else in, in that disciplined succession. Is that okay? Have I, have I addressed the point? Yeah. So, I, I just wanted to say, that, so it, to, con, uh, to conclude, but Nartam, you, you should speak first before I say any, anything concluding. Uh, so this is this is the thrust. This is the uh, gist of the of, of the purport that I received today my, myself in, in reading this. Uh, that the uh, the authority of the Srimad Bhagavatam will not necessarily be appreciated by the common man. Uh, just as when we first received the Bhagavatam. We didn't know the authoritative basis on which it was written. We didn't know who Srila Vyasadeva was. We didn't, I didn't even know who Srila Prabhupada was when I received my first copy. Um, so, but the Bhagavatam has the ability, since it is the literary incarnation of the Supreme Lord himself, uh, it has its own volition just as we say that in passing out a piece of literature to someone else who has never had any connection, uh, that person might not be the one who ultimately receives that piece of literature. He may give it to someone else, or in some cases, devotees have taken 
copies of the Bhagavatam out of the garbage cans out at the airport when people were distributing books out at the airport. Someone would receive the book and then put it in the garbage can, or maybe they just leave it lying around. There was even a, an instance in which uh, a person uh, was driving down the street, came to a traffic light, and saw that there was something lying on there. He opened his door, reached down, and picked it up the book and and became a devotee of Krishna on the basis of that. Uh, there was another instance, I think, uh, Gopal Prabhu, who was one of our devotees here, disciple of Tamal Krishna Goswami, I think he was visiting some friends or something, and, and uh, someone had moved out of the apartment, and the only thing they'd left there on the shelf in the closet was a piece of literature, the Bhagavad Gita or the Srimad Bhagavatam. And so as a result of that, uh, he he became... A, a devotee of Krishna. So a person can read the Bhagavatam and understand the authority of the person who is speaking in in present day, and that's Srila Prabhupada. They can understand. And I, I did that also. It took me a while of reading, but I eventually got to the point of saying, all right, you say that we have to accept a spiritual master. Why don't you be my spiritual master? So that was the acceptance of myself on, on, of Srila Prabhupada as my spiritual authority. Even though I had no direct physical contact with Srila Prabhupada, still by simply reading the books that he had translated and given the elaborate purports to, I became so convinced that he became my spiritual authority. But now if I had taken that and then started making a business of, of distributing other books and, you know, uh, for my own uh, gratification, then then I don't think that would have had so much effect as becoming a disciple of his disciple and, and then uh, uh, trying to live my life according to what I understood from what he said. So we have to accept an authority somewhere in our, in our society. Sooner or later, and you know, this is what we pray for our children also, that they will get to the point of having this realization, having the light come on in their minds, and that they will, they will find themselves a person to whom they can dedicate their lives, just as Narottam Prabhu and I uh, did with Tamal Krishna Goswami. And then, and then receive the enlightenment that, that one can get from a bona fide representative of our disciplic succession. Anything else? Very nice to see you back here, Mataji. It's been too long. All right. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Nartam, did you want to say one more thing before we go? I would be very happy to hear it was, it was what I was going to bring up. Hey, Krishna. What I was going to bring up was in rebuttal to, and Prabhu, your name? Kishore Kishori Das. So Kishore Kishori Prabhu um, brought this up about, we see that the impersonalists are also um, spotless in character. They're, they're taking sannyas, they're, you know, observe, observing many principles um, similar to us. They're vegetarians and so forth. So, and they have a disciplic succession, Sankarcharya, and so forth. 
and we're coming down in, on our line from like Lord Brahma down, right? Ramanujacharya um, and so forth. Madhavacharya actually is ours and uh, the Sikha Swamis and so forth. So how are we to defer, you know, understand which disciplic succession to accept? You see? So then we have to look at the arguments they're presented. The impersonalists are presenting that ultimately we're all God. Right? We're, we're, we're all... Why there are two paths? Well, um, if you look, Prabhupada speaks very nicely about all the, the different arguments. But... Um, the reason that there are two paths, one, it, it's brought up in the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam. There is an impersonal aspect of the Supreme Lord, right? We have that verse, Brahmeti Paramameti Bhagavaniti Shabdate, right? So Brahman realization is like um, understanding the sunshine. And then Paramatma realization is like understanding that there's a sun planet. And then Bhagavan realization is understanding that there's actually a sun god who is upon that planet. Or just like if you see a mountain from far away, right? So you see a mountain from far away, it looks like a cloud. But then when you get closer, it starts to have an image. And then when you come right onto the mountain, you can see there's so much variegatedness, varieties, and so forth. So in personal realization is one step in the path of our transcendental you know, life to understand that everything is God's energy and so forth. And then our acharyas, they have taken the, the arguments of Sangharacharya, they've taken the arguments of very fame, the, the disciplic succession of the impersonalists, and they have explained them. Sangharacharya was an incarnation of Lord Shiva who came for a specific purpose, right? So we have to look at the, all the information that's given. A lot of times we're taking things, a small thing, right, out of context. So as far as them following the principles and them having transcendental realization, we would say yes. But their realization is not complete according to our authorities and the arguments that are given from both sides have been analyzed very carefully by Prabhupada, Srila Bhakti, Siddhanta, Saraswati, and so forth. You know? So I, that would be my response to it. You see? Again, I think it comes down to the details. The less you know, muddled things are in terms of, you know, the presentation, you know, then, uh, and the more details that are given, then the stronger our faith becomes. And plus, the food's better here anyway. No, just joking. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I can understand that, uh, that some people would, would find it very difficult to believe that uh, everything that we see around us is just the energy of this person that we know as Krishna. They cannot imagine. I mean, I have trouble myself understanding how all of this energy can be in, in, embodied in this personality we know as Krishna. But So that in itself would not be so attractive to me, if, even if I understood that this was... You know, all right, so God is a person, but he's this very powerful person. But that in itself is not attractive enough to me. 
I have to know the nature of Krishna. I have to know how he plays with his coward friends. I have to know how he treats Rukmini in, 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 the, in his palace in Dwaraka, how he treats Radharani and Chandavali in the forest of Vrindavan. And, and when, I, when I learn those things, I think, yes, this is the kind of person that I want to be with. You know, regardless of how much power he might have or not have, if he, if he can, if he loves someone so much that he's willing just to give himself, he, he sells himself just for a person's love, that he's willing to do that, then uh, this is the kind of person that I want to think of as, as being the controller of my life. All right, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Shri Shri Radha Kalachanjidam ki jai. Uh, we offer again respectful obeisances to all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord who are just like desire trees, who fulfill the desires of everyone, and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Banchakal patarubis chai, kripas indibi patitanam bhavanibyo, Vaishnabebyo namunama, anantakuti Vaishnabinda ki jai. Uh, one more note, everyone, and that is that uh, right now our dis- our devotee, our god brother, uh, Radhanath Prabhu, is undergoing surgery right now on his heel to remove a bone spur that has been causing him a great deal of suffering. It should not take very long. This is day surgery, but of course, with any surgery, you know, there's always the possibility for something to go wrong. So I would appreciate it if everybody would uh, say some prayers to Lord Nrsinghadev to please give him the protection that he needs to get through this surgery. Okay? Everybody have a good day. Hare Krishna. Beautiful, wonderful.